first podcast of the word wizards we're here today talking about the amazing new book take back the block by crystal giles um it's a great book that discusses gentrification and urban displacement going on in the world today and a group of young kids that decide to fight back against it um i think it's a great book for middle school and social uh social studies language arts it's really a cross-content material uh, mckenna what do you think reading the book what do you think about it yeah, so going off of what you said, Rob, about the um, cross-collaboration between classes, I definitely think as a language arts and social studies-based teacher that you could use this book in either setting. Um, I think Giles does a great job of including um, some historical points um, towards the end where there's discussion of um, the historical aspects of the neighborhood. And I think you could even touch on some personal information with um, families and friendship and role modeling. And I think overall, there's just so much material in a book that's only a few hundred pages long. But overall, I think this is something that the class could really get into. Um, I specifically liked looking at the role modeling aspect um, and I could definitely see where um, as an educator you could use that aspect a lot in the story. Um, again, this is a book for middle school children, but even as an adult, I really enjoyed this book and I got a lot of information to use as an educator out from it. And um, yeah, I just really, really liked the book. So going off it being a book for middle schoolers, does anyone else think this could be a book you could use really from fifth grade on? I mean, could you see yourself using this in the high school? Yeah, no, I can touch on that. So I could definitely see this book uh, going all through all the way from fourth through ninth grade, even possibly in the maybe even 11th, 12th grade, just depending on the subject. But one of the things that I definitely focused on in like my area and the thing that I thought would be neat was the idea of stress. So kind of going through those multiple grade levels, those students are going through constant changes and they're constantly just evolving as like their own person and like learning so much about themselves. And one of the things that they talk about in this book so much is just kind of overcoming with different situations just because Kari and Wes and those all this like the uh, characters in the story just have to overcome so much material or in so much time. I also think that would be great for like the upper class, um, especially with some of the topics that are talked about in the book. Like it all stems down to like the gentrification and like basically systemic racism. And that's something that affects people no matter their age. So this book gives like a good insight into what others are going through and like even if they're young, um, they can understand it. And people that are older, they are able to relate to it a little bit more because they fully understand what is going on instead of just reading about it like the younger generation would. I think that's something or something that's really good about this is as, um, you know, I think this is a topic that a lot of people today definitely wasn't talked about uh you know years ago it's something that's more prevalent today 
And it's for somebody like me that was grew up in, you know, like rural Ohio, there's, I mean, there's probably not one black person that lives in that town. Right. So it's not a topic that's taught a lot at school um, or really you don't learn much about it at all. So I think this is the type of book that um, really eases you into it, but at the same time gives you so much information that you can go off of and research and you can find out more about it, even if you have no basis to start off of. So that leads me to a really interesting question that I've had, especially with a lot of our, cl our classes we've had about equity. Um, I mean, Nick brought up a great point that all four of us are, from the state of Ohio, have lived here the majority of our lives. So we don't have a vast experience with minorities. So do you think this is the type of book that if you introduce it in your classroom, are you gonna get a lot of kickback from that rural community? Or do you think it was written in a way that can explain the topic and have it openly without people thinking you're overtly trying to, to brainwash children? I think in any, um, any reading you do, there's always going to be someone complaining. There's always a kickback. Someone isn't happy. But I think this is so important to teach the future, like, and the future children, because they are, not everyone stays in little rural communities or just stays in Ohio. And I think it's such an important aspect as an educator to make sure that your children know not only what's going on in the textbooks, but in the real world too. And I think this makes it an easy way to have those conversations. And even if people um, say that you're trying to brainwash their children, I think that's something that they need to be educated on too. And I know like um, you can't just tell parents like that they're right and they're wrong. But I think even giving examples of like why this is good and how their child would benefit from stuff like this um, will help them in the long run. Now, in my opinion, I don't think starting out a school year with this is going to be good for you. But I think if you ease into it, you're going to have more support from the community. And I think teachers, um, not teachers, parents would be more accepting. But I definitely think it's something like like I said at the beginning, you're always going to have kickback on something. So maybe easing into something like this would be easier, not for, not even just for you as a teacher, but the students going home and having a deeper understanding of this. And there's so many times where there, there's children educating their parents. And I feel like in this, with a book like this, um, it makes it a lot easier for parents and children to know what's going on outside of their little um, communities. Uh, and I, I, I agree with everything that you said, McKenna. I think one of the neat things about this book is that it has so many deep aspects that you can almost argue if you're going to put in that difficult situation. Um, I think we've we brainstormed in our past book club meetings uh, ideas of friendships, community, stress, gentrification, class, and race, role modeling. And th there really is just such an abundance of material in this book that even if there's push comes to shove and you have a parent that's pressuring you for brainwashing your child, I think that you can almost like, don't want to say twist it, but argue that there's so many other important things that the students learning, not only because of that, but in addition to like gentrification and some of these more touchy subjects.
So one of the quotes that I love from the book, and, and Nick, I know you've done some research on this um, as you work on your final project. So I kind of want to direct this to you. Um, Wes, one of the characters in the book, the main character in the book is Wes, who's trying to find a way to save his neighborhood. And his quote to Mr. Baker, based on an article he wrote in the past, is, you said gentrification is the new segregation. We need to stop it. Nick, in your research, what have you found about that? And, and do you think that's something valuable to put in here? Um, is it a form of segregation or is it just cities trying to, to better themselves and, and have a more diverse socioeconomic uh, group in their city? Yeah, so um, I think we've talked about this a little bit, Rob, but there's a lot of um, cities in the U.S. that were built in certain ways to um, be segregated. So you can have uh, something like Chicago where there's the north and the south side. Originally that was built to be you know, segregated, um, that there's uh, all kinds of cities like that across the U.S. But um, so I think Wes, or I, it was Wes that said that, right? Um, yeah, so I think Wes saying that is um, not wrong in the slightest, to be honest with you. <laughs> And Tyler, you talked about the stress. Another thing that Wes says to his friend Brent, whose family is talking about moving out of the neighborhood, is, is Brent, that's crazy. We can't just give up our neighborhood. They'll just build, a, build another condo building. Where will that leave us? Do you think, I mean, is that a lot of the stress? I mean, how do you, I mean, I, I think that's a very important part to put into the book and showing the kids, you know, what kid at eight years old, fourth or ninth grade wants to wonder where they're going to be living. Um, I mean, do you think that adds to the stress? Is that kind of what you're finding in your research? Yeah, so so far, I've, I've ultimately kind of been able to break down the stress in the book into kind of like four main categories. So the way I kind of thought about it was, why well, isn't all the younger kids and all the middle school students throughout the story kind of have stress in their school, their social life, their family, family life, and there's also the racial tensions that we've talked about. So... I think that you're right in saying that in that quote that him losing his like his house him losing his friends like him losing essentially everything is just up in the air constantly is always just leading for stress and so one of the things that I've been almost kind of like looking for in my research is essentially how we can better cope or create that safe environment because that's one of the things that we've talked a lot about in my former education classes is creating a safe environment for our students. So ultimately he has those stresses that are going on outside and at home. But I think it could be a leading question to the next thing is how do we, and with, I don't remember exactly the teacher's name, but he really kind of set up a really nice environment for the students to kind of feel accepted and have an opportunity to learn and tackle some of their bigger projects. So I don't know if someone wants to maybe comment on that. Yeah, so that was one thing I did really like in the book is Mr. Baker and, and Miss Monica and how willing they were to meet with the students uh, to help them out, you know, not to look at them. You know, I kind of felt like it wasn't the parents' fault, but they kind of were trying to protect their kids in a lot of ways, which we always try to do as parents and telling them, you know, we'll handle it. We got this. You guys just be kids. We'll take care of it. But Mr. Baker and, and Miss Monica really provided that equity to the kids to say, we hear you and we're here for you. And 
you know, we want to help you. And, and both of them took up the fight. Um, not that they led the kids in what to do, but they very much led them to ideas of what to do and then let the kids expand upon it. Um, and I, and I really love the whole project Mr. Baker was working on with the students where, you know, what's one thing you could do or you want to research that involves the world around you that this greatly, um, even empowered Wes even more to go out and, and research this topic because even though he didn't realize that he was doing the school project at the same time and saved an entire neighborhood, an entire group of people without even meaning to offer this one project. And it, it kind of reminded me of the movie pay it forward where one simple kid with one idea greatly changes the world around him without him even intentionally doing it. I think role modeling and that's the aspect I'm looking on for the final project is such a huge aspect, not even just um, Mr. Baker and Miss Monica. Is that her name? Why am I spacing right now? Yes. Yes. Nope. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. It's been a long day. Um, but not even them, but Wes's parents and the man that lives across the street. Um, I'm sorry. I'm terrible with names, let alone in books. Um, but Mr. Hank, actually, I believe is who you're referring yes, to. Mr. Hank. Yes. I was going to say Mr. Henry, but I knew that wasn't right. Anyway, um, Mr. Hank, he his experiences when they are having Thanksgiving dinner and him talking about his experiences in Vietnam and um, just his time spent in the neighborhood and seeing families come and go show his wisdom and knowledge just about the type of people that live, lived in this neighborhood really can expand um, Wes's um, options with his role models. Um, I know Mr. Hank doesn't do like a whole lot when it comes to making sure that the condos don't go get up and moving everyone out, but just being someone positive and giving like the right idea for what a life should be with Mr. Hank is something that I found really important in my research because there's so many people that don't have any role models. And I think for Wes, like the more and more role models he had, the more and more it made him the person that he was at the end of the story. And I just really feel like um, the adults that were portrayed in the novel could really, really um, have affected or not affected how this worked out because every little detail from these adults in the story made the difference. So one thing that I didn't even notice it when I first read it until I went back and was preparing for this podcast. I didn't even, when I read it, I just kind of read it and skipped through it and was like, oh, that's great. He has a place to go to. Um, but Wes talks about his favorite spot in the his favorite spot in the park is the brick path that leads from the long row of oak trees. At the very end of the path is an old water fountain. It's about three feet tall with a small steel water basin and carved into his base is a row of swirly leaves. Last year, when the community repaved the walkway, the board debated getting rid of the fountain, but I was glad they've always kept it. I've always felt a connection to it. So in the end, the amazing part is that fountain's never mentioned again, but that fountain is what they actually deem the historical monument that saves the community. Do you guys think that 
Crystal Giles was maybe trying to foreshadow with that or show a connection from West? Or do you guys think that was just kind of something she put in there just to show that West had a place to escape to? I honestly kind of forgot. Sorry, Taylor, I just saw your light um, light up. But I, I forgot that that kind of was mentioned, but I definitely think it could be seen as foreshadowing, in my opinion. I agree with McKenna on that. I was literally going to say about the same thing, so <laughs> it's okay. But, yeah, it could be seen as foreshadowing, but it's, like, a great thing to just mention, even if it's not a big part and all that. So. So going from that with the way the fountain ties in. So when Wes is studying the history, he finds out that the only African-American to ever own a lumber mill in his state, you know, built basically this entire neighborhood. Um to for the workers that worked for the place um, that they had somewhere to live, kind of like if you've ever seen Wind Calls the Heart, how the lumber mill in the mining community built houses for the mining workers that live there. And Mr. Baker says when they're talking about it and Wes is like, you know, how did no one know about this? Mr. Baker's like, this is what happens to black history a lot. It, it gets thrown away. It gets hidden. Um, I mean, knowing that, do you guys see this being a book? that you would only teach for Black History Month to open the door to talk about Eli Whitney or uh, Maya Angelou or other great Black inventors and Black people in history? Or do you think this is a book you could teach any time in the year? Um, obviously not the first week or first day, but any time throughout the school year. Um, I think that it would be great to be taught any day throughout the school year. It's like from a perspective, like, that you would see from a person of color during Black History Month, it would be so annoying to only get taught stuff like that only during Black History Month and not be like have that material throughout the school year. Like this book would have been great at like near the beginning of the school year for a lot of students, especially with the whole Black Lives Matter movement this past summer. And it would have been such like a great connection because they would have saw what happened over the summer and then they would have been able to like read something that's similar throughout that and it it creates a better connection but like with the black history month i think that should be mainly focused on like past authors and all that um like the maya angelo and stuff like that but for history it's I think stuff like this should be taught all year round. There's so much whitewashing in history and the students need to have that more diverse knowledge. I know we've talked about this in other classes where just there's so many books and pieces of literature that are included um, in class or, you know, in high school, whatever you want to call it, um, that are focused so much around um, around white protagonists. So I think even having books like Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson, where it isn't necessarily directly about um, about issues that are happening with African-Americans or or people of color in the United States, but it's just having protagonists and characters that are black. So it's you have that other pieces of literature that are in there that it helps your students feel accepted, helps them feel like they're a part of class. And it isn't just a, 
you know, a Black History Month um, piece of literature. It's just a normal piece of literature that we're teaching. I agree with you, Nick, on that, especially like the people in the book are seen in a good light. A lot of the time, whenever people of color are mentioned in literature, they're not seen as a good and like a good light. They're seen as like a person that would be in trouble, in and out of trouble, or just on a bad path just to help out the main character who is white half the time. So this book is just like really good for students to see that they can do what they want and see a positive role model in literature that isn't white or being seen as someone that's bad, even if they have good qualities. Yeah, I mean, speaking of role models and people with great qualities, I mean, I, I really love the fact that, you know, Crystal Giles, whether it was inadvertently or purposely she did it, that there, there was really a character for everyone to strive to be like, for a young child to try to be like Wes, or, or not even strive to be like, but to look up to, um, whether it's Wes or whether it's Maya, which, you know, we've talked about in our book clubs, that, you know, so many children who are half white, half black, or half Asian, half Hispanic, whatever their ethnicity is, if it's not solely one, they're not accepted by either culture in a lot of cases. Um, you have Mr. Baker, who's the white teacher who's trying to help the students out, um, but not in a pandering way. He's honestly there for the kids and doing it out of love. Um, I mean, was anybody else struck by the importance and the wide range of characters that Crystal Giles instilled so that no matter what kid reads the book, they can see themselves in someone in the book? Yeah, I, I was extremely intrigued by that. One of the notes that I had prepped for before coming in the podcast today was um, I honestly wanted to talk about character trait charts and the idea of uh, character comparison because this book is just full of just so many different like elements and different characters. They're all just so unique in their own right. Wes is just like finds himself as a leader. There's so many ways that you can connect to him as the main character. You have Kari, who just is going through so much, just it goes through so much adversity from moving from different houses to the hotel to living with Wes, just all around and just constantly moving. And you have, like you had mentioned, Maya, her stress being uh, mixed up even at a new school. So she's transitioning schools. So there's just such a wide variety of characters for all the different students to relate to. I also feel like with characters, there's like those small nuances that you notice where, you know, you might have like Wes and Kari talking about, um, you know, the homeroom teacher and be like, oh yeah, he's kind of cool, you know, or this one teacher is kind of scary or, you know, whatever. So even, you know, thinking back when I was a kid, I'd had those same types of conversations with my friends talking about, oh, this is who you want as a teacher. So you can have those relation, um, relatable things that, you have with characters that really make you feel like you're a part of the story. I guess a question I had kind of going off of like me mentioning character traits would be, did you guys have like 
any ideas of like activities of things that you'd want to use this book for in your class or how would you almost utilize this if you were to almost teach certain aspects or do things along the way of teaching it? Um, I'll go. Um, I really, really, one aspect that I would really, really like to use in this book is reading it together as a class. Like, I really wouldn't see myself assigning my kids to read this at home because I think in every page there's something new or something to talk about. And I think the best way the kids would appreciate it and understand, like, it's not a hard read. I'm not saying it's a hard read. It's a very um, easy read. But I think the material is so deep that I'd want to kind of guide the students through it just to make sure, like, I know, like, they understand that this is not something people should be blowing off. Like, reaching out and supporting your community and being a good friend and, um being respectful and how to deal with stress and all of the things we've been talking about so far, I think is so important that students know and understand like you're not alone. There are other people and this is what's going on in the world you're living in today. So in that aspect, yeah, I would definitely make sure I was reading as much of it as I could in class or all of it in class. Yeah, and I think honestly, this what's so amazing about this book is there's so many different ways you can have your students take it. Um, so many different things they can they can come they can develop and create off of it. And really, they're not wrong in any way they go. I mean, they can do character charts. They can research gentrification. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about it in this podcast, but there's the episode in the book where Kari gets arrested by the white police officer because they think he's stealing wheelbarrows because they're cleaning up after the party that you can talk about systematic bias and racism in the police department um you know unknown black history that people don't know about um i mean there's so many different ways um that this could go that you could create from you could simply go with mr baker and say you know come up with your own way to to change the world you live in like, it's just, it's basically on endless, all the different things that she puts out there that you could have your students create and, and expand on. I have a question. How do you guys feel about the end of the book? Like, do you feel like it was predictable or not? Or did you like think it was wrapped up well? Like, what do you what are your thoughts and feelings? I think it was wrapped up well. I think it was kind of predictable, but I think it was a good thing that it was because I think you you obviously finish reading the book and, and West saves the neighborhood and and the community saves the neighborhood and you find out the neighborhood's gonna be preserved. And so it leaves you with an amazing feeling when you finish it. Whereas if it would have been like in the end, hey guys, we tried, sorry, now we're all moving somewhere else. We don't know where we're going. All our friendships are over. I, I don't think it, I think it was predictable, but I think it had to be in a sense because I think the book in some ways may have lost its effect 
because half the students would read it and be so angry that this happened to these kids and the other half would just finish it and go, man, that's the most depressing book I ever read in my life. So I, I think it was a good thing. It was predictable because it left you with that, with that feeling of, you know, some of the kids may read it and go, Oh, look what they did. I can do something now. And it kind of empowered you as a reader when you finished it, that you felt you could do something versus finishing it and going, see, there's nothing we can do. So I think in a way it was predictable, but it almost had to be. No, I'd agree with that. I think that the book had so many unpredictable parts throughout it that you just like weren't expecting and that Crystal Giles just kind of threw at you um, just so many times throughout the story. And so I felt like it all kind of wrapped up really, really well. I mean, it is a, it's a middle school book. I feel like it almost kind of had to wrap up that way in some sense. So I think this book kind of impacted us all in completely different ways. I mean, it's literature. So obviously everyone's going to read something and take something different away from it. But what is something that you guys could 100% see yourselves taking away from this book and and trying to instill in your classroom as a future educator? I think for me, just as a whole, gentrification and the effects of gentrification, um, that's not a topic that I had looked into or studied very much before this book. So um, knowing the importance of it, beginning to research it and understand it is something that not only that I can use for myself, my own knowledge and understand how it works, but also um, to have my students know about and understand as well. Maybe this will be for them the first book that they begin to understand gentrification as well. So. I think for me, it would be both like the gentrification and the fact like about the whole Kari being put in a cop car thing. Like that's not something I normally would have processed. Like you hear things on the news about like Trayvon Martin. He was, I think he was like 15 whenever he got shot and killed because of his skin color but you don't think of it being someone so young that's dealing with this so for me I would be more like I, I don't know the word for it but like basically like I would be there more for the students like whenever they feel uncomfortable in certain situations because of their um, culture or what's going on in around the world for them so it kind of opened my my eyes on how I should approach certain topics in the classroom. No, I think that's awesome, Taylor. I mean, I think you're right on. I think there are so many topics this book introduces. So, I mean, to wrap things up, I, I think that, you know, we haven't really gotten into the book because I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But I think we definitely showed how there's so many different areas. This can be a valuable asset um, as a book to introduce to your classroom. and. I'm really glad we all enjoyed it. And, and personally, I kind of think it's the perfect book at the perfect time. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure you check out Take Back the Block by Crystal Giles, available on Amazon and in bookstores near you.